I want to welcome anybody listening to the First Church Podcast. I am here with Pastor Brendan Glass, my friend, and we have been working through the book uh, Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman. Uh, one of the reasons that we uh, decided to go through this book together is because um, uh, in January we celebrated MLK's birthday, and uh, I think one of the things that we just don't know a whole lot about and, and what would be predominantly the, the white church is um, black history concerning the the church in general and uh, what African Americans have um, uh, contributed really to Christianity, even in our own country. And uh, Howard Thurman was, everybody kind of knows who Martin Luther King Jr. is, um, but very people know who Howard, very little, very few people know who Howard Thurman is, who may, may or may not have been uh, one of the greatest influences on MLK's life. And uh, so uh, Pastor Glass and I were talking a while ago uh, and thought it'd be fun to do a podcast on this book, and uh, I found it helpful as I uh, read through and take notes and think about some of these concepts. I think anybody would benefit from reading this book, um, no matter who you are or, or even what you've been through in life. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, thanks again for being here. Well, thanks for having me, man. This has been a fun uh, series of podcasts. Uh, enjoying our interaction and our words and our, our ideas being expressed. So. Uh, yeah, let's, let's finish strong. All right, today is love. We are talking about love. What's love ha- got to do for Ooh. with it for those who are in di- disinherited, um, maybe uh, beat down, uh, or um, even see themselves as disenfranchised or disenfranchised. Uh, so um, since we are talking about love, uh, we I, I think anybody knows, hopefully you know, if not, you should know, uh, that really the greatest Christian ethic is love. Yes. Uh, we we know that we should love. We know that God is love. We know that uh, God sent his one and only son into the world um, because he loves us. And uh, so we, we all kind of know that we should love, but mm-hmm. loving others is uh, sometimes, oftentimes, more difficult than uh, what it seems, especially if you feel like or have been wronged mm-hmm. um, in the past or, or being wronged currently. And uh, Howard Thurman addresses that. And uh, so, Brendan, maybe you can just kind of get us started. What, uh, oh, oh, how should we maybe get started here? Yeah, man. So first, I really just want to build off of what you just said. The very first sentence, the religion of Jesus makes the love ethic central. And just going off of what you said, like, it's quite unfortunate that that is not the first thing you think about when you think of Christianity. Oh, you don't think love. And that yeah. is one of the, and, and you know, I, I went through some stuff, you know that. I went through some stuff uh, last year, you know, real, pretty much traumatic for me and mm-hmm. my church family. And that's when the Christian ethic really started to, it just became to the forefront of my mind, my ministry, and my teaching. Like one of the reasons I went through what I went through and so many people go through what they go through at the hands of Christians. Mm-hmm. is because the love ethic is just something that is so just just downgrading in terms of significance yeah. in terms of our faith oh let's talk about you know how many angels are standing before god and you know in the you know yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. we want to talk about a needle right like we want to yeah. be able to be able to fathom and conceptualize uh-huh. stuff that yeah. really does not change anything yeah in terms of the quality of life but 
it just like I said, it just really challenged me last year, you know, just like as I'm trying to heal and work through that stuff, I was just like, man, if we just did better with love, mm -hmm. then we would not hear certain things. It, I, it makes me cringe yeah. when you hear things like, man, church folks doing that to each other. And man, mm -hmm. this is, we talking about Christians doing this to each other. And, you know, as you know, and as we've been talking about, you know, I'm finally going back to get my master's. And of course, I'm doing mm -hmm. history because I love history. And it's just like, it's astonishing. Like, it almost makes you really want to say, you know what? I really want to walk away from the institution of Christianity. Hmm. Just grab a couple people. Yeah. And let's just say, hey, let's just, like like, like uh, Thurman says, let's just adhere to the religion of Jesus. Uh -huh. Let's just forget about it. Because it's just, yeah. it's just been so neglectful of what's central. Yeah. And that's my biggest... As one of my big, that's why I'm so excited about talking about this chapter because you know we literally could just close a book and talk about that for mm -hmm. an hour. Yeah. Like what happened to the Christian ethic? Why is the Christian ethic that is so downplayed in the body of Christ? Yeah. Over everything else. Yeah. I mean, I I know there for a while I was just posting a lot of uh, a lot of Bible verses about love, and I, I don't know. I, I think somebody kind of um, uh, kind of poked it a little bit. Like, why are you talking about love so much? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you know it, this past year has been very divisive mm -hmm. on every issue i th i could think imaginable and um you know i'm like in, in my mind i'm just thinking man my soul needs this because yeah. it's not that i don't have opinions on all of those issues and i'm and it's not that i haven't been disappointed yeah. by the way like we have handled those issues personally or maybe even as a society in a lot of different ways but it's just like my heart and my head, if I'm going to follow Jesus, just can't stay in a place of anger, even yeah. theoretically, if it's a place of righteous anger, like yeah. in my mind, um, or I lose, like, yeah. I, I do, I, I feel like I, I, I lose this idea of how do I, how do I love people? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so... I found my place. I found myself probably when I was posting a lot of those verses and like thinking about that, just like it's kind of like telling myself, like, okay, I got to remember, I got to remember, yeah. like I'm supposed yeah. to love, I'm supposed to love these yeah. people, yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, man, I, that's that was that's mm -hmm. my challenge always when I'm wronged. Mm -hmm. You know, every time that's, that's like one of the greatest challenges because you know one of the things about our church, you know, is one of the things that we were always known for, and you know, and I hear that in a lot of churches. It's not unique, but it's just, man, one thing, just, there's so much, there's the atmosphere of love in spam ministry. There's so much love in spam yeah. ministry. So much love. It's yeah. the atmosphere of love. Just the atmosphere yeah. of love. And, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, uh -huh. I love that. I enjoy yeah. that. I can make flow in that current. Uh -huh. The question is, you know, but what, when, wh what about when you get hurt? Mm -hmm. How loving are you? Yeah. You know, or you disagree. Loving? Right. Yeah. You disagree or, you know, there is uh, just disrespect mm -hmm. or anything like that. Like, yeah. How is the loving response going to be? And that's what God has been working on me in this last year. Like, yeah, there's a certain way you're supposed to respond. That is the Christian way to, you know, hurt and disagreement and all this mm -hmm. other stuff. But are you just acting out what you're supposed to do? Or is it really fueled by love for uh -huh. the other person? Yeah. And that's what God's been challenging me. Like, do you yeah. really love this person? And that's not why, and that's why uh, you're responding? Or is it that you want to be said that you responded better? 
you responded lovingly. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's my challenge because sometimes it's like, okay, I respond in nice and love, but on but to myself in the car, I'm driving home. <laughs> <laughs> have anything but love for that oh, person. Yeah. I'm saying <laughs> what I would say if I have to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and that, that's where if I'm... I didn't care about that relationship. <laughs> right. <It's just> like, <laughs> Let me get it out now that yeah. we're away from each other. Let me say what yeah. I really want to say yeah. to you. Yeah. And I'm just, the Lord's really been challenging me there. Really yeah. challenging me there. Just like, because at the end of the day, that's what Jesus demonstrated and exemplified. Mm-hmm. I'm not, no matter what you do to me, I'm still going to stay up here on this cross. Yeah. <laughs> when I could very well and easily. And that's what he told Peter. He was mm-hmm. like, look, dude, I can call down legion of angels right now. Mm-hmm. And if that's what if I, if I felt as though that was the way, and I don't think he was just saying like in terms of revenge or in yeah. terms of, I think he was literally saying, look, if I really wanted to go about a violent way, that would not be a problem for me. Yeah, it would not be a problem for me for me to violently take over this world. Mm-hmm. I could easily do that. Yeah, but I'm not doing it. I want to do it through love and that effort because. That was what we were created to operate in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's a challenge for me. <laughs> it is. It is. And so um, you, Thurman starts out with the idea of um, the greatest commandment, mm-hmm. right? Hero Israel, the Lord, our Lord, our God, our God is one. Mm-hmm. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and all your strength. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And so Thurman brings up this idea um, that Jesus addresses is that we are to love our neighbor as thyself um, that is akin Mm -hmm. to loving God. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus has to answer the question, then who is my neighbor? And what Thurman rightly says is that Jesus is teaching through the Great Samaritan and the way he goes about his ministry. Basically, Jesus concludes and teaches us that every man is potentially every other man's neighbor. Mm. And so you can't look at anybody uh, without actually seeing them as your neighbor. Yeah. And so when we talk about love, it's it's not uh, relegated to uh, just the people you know, um, the people who maybe live to the left or right of you or in front of you or behind you, uh, but uh, all of humanity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, he, he makes that statement there. Um, and, uh, he, he says this on page 80, he says a twofold demand was made upon him at all times to love those of the household of Israel who became his enemies because they regarded him as a careless perverter of the truth of God and to those beyond the household of Israel, the Samaritan and even the Roman. And so, um, he, there Thurman basically just says that, uh, Jesus' own people didn't like him. Right. <laughs> like right, so his right. own people did not like him. Right. Uh, uh, Israel is what he says there, and um, because they believed that um, what he taught was a perversion mm-hmm. of Judaism, and uh, Jesus was not actually trying to create a new religion. He was showing that he was the finality yeah. of the Jewish religion, the Messiah himself, um, which they didn't like, uh, and then also because he is an is- Israelite. Um, they did not like the Samaritans who perverted the faith right. uh, historically or the Romans who had dominated over the nation of Israel at that time um, unjustly. And so 
uh, Jesus finds himself, by the way, when he talks about loving and even loving their enemy, as basically an enemy of everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, when it comes down to it, and, and that's what eventually put him on the cross. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he's he knows what he's talking about uh, when he teaches us mm-hmm. uh, to love our enemy. Uh, Jesus walked the walk. Yeah, let's put it that way. Yeah, when it comes to love, completely agree. And you know that Samaritan. Um, parable the good samaritan parable um is one that martin luther king uh referenced often mm-hmm. you know in terms of you know how we are supposed to come at come at uh just brotherhood amongst humanity you mm-hmm. know uh just becoming that world community and that's one of the things that he was really preaching and teaching um and that's why when this comes up in the book it's just okay yeah you see where harwood thurman's influence yeah did carry over to martin luther king because when we're thinking you know social justice civil rights you know you're not thinking of good samaritan <laughs> yeah you know we're not really thinking about that we're thinking about more you know justice and we're thinking uh-huh. about moses and egypt you uh-huh. know um but you know what jesus is basically is saying is you know if we really want to you know do well as humans as a race then yeah we have to lift up all of the factors that we consider points of division mm-hmm. that makes us different because those points of division make it harder for me to love you yeah you know yeah. it makes it harder for me to love you when i see you as something different yeah if i see you the same then okay cool you know I me, mean, yeah it's easy for me to do stuff for you it's easy for me to forgive you it's easy for me to do all of these particular things that God would have me do for you or to you and with you um, if I see you as me. Mm. Yeah, and, and he, he, I like that because he uses the Samaritan, by the way, to teach the Jews how to love their neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so you think about a Samaritan. A Samaritan is somebody who perverts the faith, mm-hmm. who is pervert. who really have. I mean, they perverted mm-hmm. the, the, the Jewish faith, um, and that's why they're disliked so much. Um, and then they, the lawyer asks Jesus, well, um, what must I do, right, to, to love my neighbor? He tells that story, and the Samaritan is the one who does the right thing, although he's wrong about all of this other yeah, stuff. Yeah. And so he makes the lawyer think about, like, oh, that Samaritan loved the guy mm-hmm. in the ditch, and I am to go do likewise. And I think about just even all the divisions right now um, in our, our country, whether it be politically or uh, down religious lines or whatever it might be, and even factions that you see yeah. among them, uh, movements or whatever, and we throw, I don't know, names at them, call them, well, they're just fundamentalists mm-hmm, or they're mm-hmm. just liberals or they, mm-hmm. like, whatever. And we've gotten so tribal mm-hmm. that we can no longer even say that, okay, I disagree with that person over there on all of these issues like and there are a <laughs> right, lot right right but what they did here was really good right like yeah. um like, but we've gotten like so we've gotten so tribal and sometimes so hateful mm-hmm. like right we can't see we can't see the good in anybody yeah it's anymore scary. that's that's what's really scary is how tribalism discredits all of you you know, yeah, this discredits all of you as a human being, as a person, as a mind, as a soul. It discredits all of you. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into how, you know, what kind of equalizes that. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, I, I'm right there with you. And I am doing this podcast. I'm having these conversations. I'm active in this as somewhat of an advocate for this type of talks and conversations mm-hmm. because it has to change. Like there has to be someone that's like standing against the tide. Yeah. Um, because it has to change because unfortunately the church has got comfortable in tribalism. Yeah. It's got comfortable. Yeah. Like it's normal. Mm-hmm. Like it's the way it's supposed to be. You know, one of my favorite stories, um <laughs> Uh, or, or, or one of my favorite parts of Jonah, uh, the story of Jonah, uh, that I really appreciate is how the people who were on the boat uh, with Jonah and the storm came. Yeah. You know, they kind of looked at the storm like something's wrong here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not a normal storm, and yeah. they had the wherewithal to say, "Look, there's a problem here. This mm-hmm. is not a normal storm. Yeah, we we got to do something about it. the gods are not happy about this." Yeah. And it's just one of those things where I can just kind of, you know, I, and I know I'm guilty of this. I know I have not perfected it, mm-hmm. but it's just like, why do we act like this is normal? Who are we going to throw off the boat? To... <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, yeah. what do we need to do? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. let's do something here. Like, uh-huh. something needs to change because I know God is not flawless tribalism. God yeah. works through it because yeah. he has no, not that he has no choice, but, you know, because he's gracious, he's kind, he's loving, he's going mm-hmm. to work through it. But what happens is we see that God working through something is the same thing as God condoning it. Mm. He doesn't always condone. Just, yeah. We have to have the word of thought to say, we have to be sensitive to the spirit to be like, ah, God's not cool with this, man. He's not yeah. cool with all this division in the church. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, he's not. I'm with you 100% on that. And, and we, we are creating enemies out of people that we shouldn't be creating enemies out of. And we're definitely not acting in, in love towards uh, a lot of people right right now he he breaks down um and you can back me up if you want to or talk about something else here on page 81 he says the enemy can be easily divided into three groups first Mm. is the personal enemy Mm -hmm. let's just talk about the personal enemy we'll just move kind of through Mm -hmm. uh, each one and the the personal enemy he says is one's primary group life basically it's the relationships that you Mm -hmm. have friends family members um, I don't know, you know, think about maybe people you go to school with, grew mm-hmm. up with, your actual next door neighbors, yeah. um, all of those sorts of things. Uh, and he said, he, he basically teaches that when we talk about loving our enemies, these generally in the church um, is what we talk about, mm-hmm. right? yeah. which is very important, right? You want to be at peace. You want to love those who God has given you a place of proximity towards Mm -hmm. um that's a very important thing so we'll talk about that um and uh kind of i guess what does that require well he says it requires um what What, yeah to fix this reconciliation yeah yeah he says it requires reconciliation um and this is where miss people i think i think right here on this level is why people struggle with the other levels you know Mm -hmm. because one Imagine a world where we taught this to children early. Mm-hmm. Reconcile, reconcile. We taught it to them early. Like that's part of the core, the core curriculum. Yeah. You know, in school, in church, like reconciliation. But I think this is one of the reasons why people are so given over to dislike, hatred, you know, lack of love. Because uh-huh. we don't do that. You know, we have. We treat reconciliation as an option because, and I, I believe, you know, I have my personal, you know, thoughts on it, cultural mm-hmm. thoughts on it, because we, we, 
we are raised to believe that all we need is ourselves. Yeah. You know, there is no there is no communal dependency like we've once known in the world, you know. Um, so it's like I believe there's a point in time where reconciling is crucial to the community. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know. well I, obviously if you think about how communal and you know, some of this is good, some of this is bad, because again, just going back to tribalism, I think we're inherently tribal. Yeah. And so to a certain extent, yeah, people had to be reconciled because if not, the community would divide, mm -hmm. literally. I mean, you divide and then you're at risk to, mm -hmm. since the world is a violent place to other communities, yeah. of, yeah. you know, of tribes who hate you just because you're different or whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, and so I think you're right on a community level or on a, and on a fam familiar level where families are supposed to care for one another mm -hmm. Um, provide for one another and protect one another. If reconciliation doesn't happen, you are, you you really are without any protection in life. Yeah. Um, not just physical, but em emotional, mental, mm -hmm. um, spiritual. Like those are the people who are supposed to be there for you. And so, if you are at odds with them, um, really, it probably feels like you're at odds with the whole world. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. they are like they are your world. Uh, so, uh, G, like teaching that in the church, by the way, it's it's a really good thing and a really needed thing because I, I do think it filters into these other two things that he's going to talk about. Mm -hmm. But for reconciliation to happen, um, he does say there has to be a will to reestablish the relationship. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know. I go back and forth on whether or not people really have that will or not sometimes, <laughs> depending on who I sit down with. Yeah. It seems like everybody really wants a good relationship with their mother, their father, their brother, their sister. Uh, people in the church or whatever it might be, but then sometimes you sit them down. It's like, do you really want this? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he also does mention that it really does, to a certain extent, um, take two people mm -hmm. for it really to take place in the way that it should, and for probably at least one to admit the confession of error. Yeah. Uh, which I think is extremely hard for people to do anymore. Yeah. Uh, one is because we don't see a model anymore uh on a, in a number of different ways um some of it is actually protectionism right now because if you do confess error mm, yeah. uh really we live in an unforgiving world yeah. and, and so you know i've heard uh people say like don't confess yeah uh out of self-preservation yeah and you know you listen to their argument it's like well i i, I get it right if you confess that means you're going to be canceled or you're going to be condemned yeah. as this thing for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, right. Forgiveness yeah. does not exist in some spheres. Yeah. Uh, and so confession is, is somewhat dangerous. However, <laughs> um, that being the case, right. Confession is central to being a follower of Christ mm -hmm. and for reconciliation actually to take place. Yeah. And so it's not a step we can as followers of jesus if guilty right you don't I, i'm not for confessing things you actually haven't done <laughs> right. um but if guilty it needs to be confessed yeah. and you need to reconcile um otherwise i really don't think love can exist as the, at the level that I, jesus teaches us to pursue um and or experienced in that way yeah yeah, I agree, man. Mm -hmm. There's a, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but you know, one of the later, one of the newer trends, it's not really new. Mm -hmm. It's actually an ancient cultural thing. 
um, but he's not something that's really been active in Western civilization since Western civilization began to kind of dominate the world is this idea of restorative justice. Um, and what restorative justice basically means is, okay, what do we need to do to bring everything back to how it was before the offense? What mm. do we need to do? Yeah. And that's the goal. And, and yeah. it's a, it's one of those things where it's a very communal activity. Mm. Yeah. So this is how justice was par- carried out in many Native American cultures. This is mm. how justice was carried out in um, a lot of, I think, uh, West African cultures. Mm-hmm. The idea is, okay, this person offended this person. This person stole from this person. Okay, what do we need to do? So it's like you're saying, the person has to confess, yeah. and the person has to figure out what they need to do to bring restoration back so the community can get along again. Yeah. Our problem is we don't want restoration. We want retribution. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> that's what we want. Like, yeah. so That's what I think what hinders reconciliation because it's yeah. like, wait a minute. You have not hurt enough. <laughs> yeah, we want to make you know we want to make you pay. Yeah, I mean, like we want to hurt you back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not that we don't. It's not that we don't want to be, uh, yeah, restored yeah. what was originally ours or whatever that might be, um, or what we deserve. But we want, yeah, we want retribution. Yeah. It's just a completely different mindset. Yeah, it's completely different mindset. I heard something uh-huh. I never heard before. Listen to this lecture. I was doing a series on forgiveness. I heard this lecture. And this young lady, she um, she said, um, she was talking about how she struggled with uh, forgiveness. And she looked up forgiveness and she was studying it from like the Israelite culture. Um, uh-huh. I'm not sure if it's ancient Israelite, but it probably is a little bit of contemporaneous in there. But she says that a person cannot, a person, like say you had a family member murdered. Uh-huh. If there's a family member murdered, the person, the family member cannot forgive the murderer okay i was like what and she was like because they're still alive the only person that can forgive the murderer for the murder is the person who was murdered and that can't happen only god can forgive them at that point but the point she was trying to make is all you can forgive them for is the effect of the murder on you all you can forgive them for is how it has hurt your life, mm-hmm. you know, hindered your life. And I was just like, wow. So it's like the idea seems to be we have to make it so forgiveness and resta- and, and, and restoration is appropriated properly. Mm-hmm. Because if not, then it's like, you know what? Not only am I mad because of what you did to me yeah. <laughs> or I'm taking or I'm taking on somebody else's anger. You know what I'm saying? So wait a minute, what you mean? You got yeah. a problem with Josh and all yeah. that. okay, you got a problem with me then. And now yeah. I'm taking all this over and now yeah. it just expands, expands, expands as opposed to no, no, no. What did I do to you? You know, specifically. And these are all the different layers that I believe make people say we put so many layers into hurt and pain and offense. And we take on another person and I'm taking this on and I'm mad because this and da 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 da. Yeah. And next thing you know, it's just like forgiveness and reconciliation becomes this unsurmountable mountain we can't climb. It's almost something that's impossible. And that's why the idea of restorative reconciliation, restoration is so powerful, man, because like, yeah. wait, when was the offense? How were we before? What will it take for us to get back? Mm hmm. What will it take for us to get back to? So, yeah. Woo!
I can talk about this all day. I told so, you yeah, that's on an individual <laughs> level there. Yeah, which, that's the individual uh, one. Uh, so he, he, he does, he does say like, we got to move past that though mm-hmm. as well. Like just the individual, he said, that's a, that's, that's obviously something we can talk about, but he actually calls it just one narrow interpretation, um, here to love those who have a natural claim upon you, mm-hmm. uh, to those who have, um, no such claim. There is no responsibility in, in that instance. Like when we only think about those who are close to us. Yeah. Um, but he says there's a second kind of enemy that comprises of those persons by their activities make it difficult for the group to live without shame or humiliation. Um, and so explain what he, he means by that there, the second group. Maybe. So, yeah, so, you know, he uses the Romans as the, uh, you know, the Romans as the example of this. Those are tax, tax gatherers here. The Romans are the third. Well, right. Um, the kind of the okay so, yeah, so right, the, yeah, yeah, yeah so the taxpayer okay. because they're they're okay. israelites who are holding hands with the romans basically right, right, like right. they're jewish okay. people yeah yeah so those the, the actions of individuals because i was thinking about the next page yeah i, I get you get i get you. I was, yeah i was yeah. thinking about the yeah. when he's talking about um why we have problem with the tax collectors yeah i forgot he does narrow it down yeah to those individuals who um are making it difficult for the group um yeah so like you know example of this we see well actually everyone has examples of this in our culture right now mm-hmm. um just we feel as though because of your actions and it's not even the specific sometimes it's institutional or sometimes it's occupational because of your particular actions we cannot get ahead we are um we are underprivileged we are abused we are exploited because of your actions or because of the institution that you are kind of working for um, or in, as a part of. And, you know, this is one of those things where it's going to be hard to, it's hard to identify with unless you have been subjected mm-hmm. to some form of inequity, exploitation, or anything yeah. like that. Like, it's hard to be able to identify with that. We all can. I'm not saying uh-huh. that's a racial thing. Yeah. Like, it could be a thing where, you know what? You know, it could be like we talked about a couple weeks ago. It could be an athletic thing. It can be yeah. a, it can be a within the job. I'm not. I'm a Christian, and I don't believe in going to happy hour thing. Uh-huh. You know, it could be anything like that. But it's a form of exploitation, um, uh, based on uh, c- certain people doing something to a certain group of people. Kind of somebody on the against. yeah, somebody on the inside selling you out. Is right. that kind of like, yeah? Well, yeah, because yeah, when, when he talks about tax. Tax yes. collectors, like these are Jewish people who are collecting taxes for the Romans. Mm-hmm. Like they're selling us out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like those the tax collectors, you know, and I, I you know, when you studied, I studied uh, or I preached a series on Zacchaeus mm-hmm. um, years ago. And, you know, that's when you really, really, really understand um, like why he was so, dis- like I studied, like I really understood, studied tax collectors and that made it, so why was people so offended uh-huh. by Jesus and how they were literally exploiting their own people. Like literally exploiting their own people. Like if the taxes were $50, you know, the tax collectors would say $75. Yeah. That was one of the practices because the tax uh-huh. collector, they had people to pay off and they had they, they got pocketed themselves. Yep. So they were kind of like commissioned by the Romans to basically be, uh, you know, to basically be enemies of their own people. 
Yeah, I was, I was actually, so I'm getting ready to preach on John the Baptist, and um, he's, tax collectors are coming to him and listening to his ministry and uh, asking what they must do to be baptized. Mm -hmm. And so I just recently kind of were reminded kind of the tax system in Rome, and you had like the publicans who were in charge mm -hmm. of collecting taxes for the Romans, and um, they were they were obligated to give in a certain amount to the Romans based on the population mm -hmm. there, but they could take whatever they charged off the top mm -hmm. uh, to, po to pocket themselves. Well, what the publicans did, because they could obviously collect mm -hmm. all the taxes themselves, is then they uh, appointed like uh, somebody under them. So like uh, another tax person, um, tax collector. And so that tax collector mm -hmm. made money the same way the publican did. And if that tax collector was smart, he actually would then hire people under him mm -hmm. to help him with it. And they made their money by yeah. uh, overtaxing the people yeah. and pocketed whatever they didn't know. And so it was like, it was this corrupt multi-level, almost like marketing scheme. Yeah, that was unregulated. That was unregulated there. And, and, and not only that, like, so in for Thurman's, uh, Thurman views these people in Jesus's day, most of these tax collectors, by the way, they're not Roman. Right. They're they're Jewish, mm -hmm. and so they're hated uh, because they're seen as as sellouts. Yes. Um, and yeah, to me, like when I'm reading through this, this is this is for me more difficult to conceptualize sometimes. Like even in my own life, I mean, I know it happens from time to time. We think, but uh, yeah, it's it's a harder mm -hmm. it's a harder enemy for me to think about. Yeah, I mean, so like for in our culture, obviously that term "sellout" you yeah know, is very, 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 especially during political season. I mean, yeah, it is very, 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 very prominent. Very, you will hear it a lot yeah. of times. You know, "sellout," uh -huh. "Uncle Tom," yeah, um, and you know that is kind of the modern uh, version of tax collector in the Bible, mm -hmm. um, and one of the reasons. Just so why why don't we just leave them alone? You know, just leave them alone. They have a right to, uh, they have a right to vote for whoever they want to and believe whatever they want to believe. And I agree with that. The problem with those individuals is a lot of times they're just not they're they're they don't realize that they're being weaponized against us. They're being weaponized against the black race. You don't realize it. So when you have certain individuals or they get a platform, you got certain individuals that get invited on talk shows and stuff like that. You know, it's not so much, hey, let's talk about you and your why you, not, you know, just mm -hmm. talk about your political views and beliefs and all this other mm -hmm. stuff. It's really, hey, let's parade you out here to show that, see, one, people like you think mm -hmm. like us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people like you think like us. People like you are like us. So, you know, why don't you guys stop being angry? Why don't you guys, you know, just get with the program? Why don't you guys, you know, conform like them? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just kind of a, you know, it's just weaponizing. And that's why it's so upsetting because it's some certain people say something and it will set back progress. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I guess, you know, one of the reasons this is more difficult for me to conceptualize, uh, obviously I have a different history than yes. the African-Americans do <laughs> um, in this sort of thing. And... You know, I, I do, I, I struggle with the idea that like, kind of like groupthink mm -hmm. needs to happen um, and to uh, uh, 
basically everybody needs to get on board with whatever the group might be based on race, ethnicity, mm-hmm. um, even cultural history or whatever that might be. Um, and so like I, I do, like I, I struggle now I do think some people are weaponized, right. And basically paraded around mm-hmm. just to show like, Hey, these people disagree over here. So it can make us feel good about ourselves. Um, uh, when we may even be in the wrong, like, right. but because this person has broken ranks, like, uh, um, yeah, we're going to pray them around. We're going to use them, weaponize them, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. You know, there are times like when I'm listening to somebody or watching somebody, that's what I feel is happening. Um, and I, I don't generally like that. Well, at the same time, uh, you know, and, and it, it was, it's, it's interesting because Thurman does treat people as individuals as he, you know, he plays mm-hmm. that he, he does that dance, right? Sure. We are individuals and are individually responsible for our own spiritual well-being and even personal reaction to every situation. Mm-hmm. And our own rational thought, which he actually even talks about in this chapter. Uh, um, but yeah, when I'm reading through that, like that was my thought. Like, are we going to talk about Uncle Tom's? Like, <laughs> like, like, and and yeah. you know, how do yeah. I even view that? Um, and what are the dangers of that? Of calling somebody Uncle Tom, or they actually just are a free thinker and they believe that this actually is the way forward. Yeah. Um, for the group, even by breaking ranks with the group. Yeah. And I think that's a hard, this, that's why I think this second category is a little more difficult for me to conceptualize. Maybe not for you, maybe not for others. Um, uh, but yeah, and even trying, as, as people try to break away from tribalism, yeah. like, uh, I, 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 I struggle with that. One of the things he does say is that what Jesus does is he makes friends with tax collectors, mm-hmm. um, you know, and yeah. so, but yeah, yeah. So let me, mm-hmm. so yeah, man. So uh-huh. <laughs> I thought that too. Like, oh, yeah, we're gonna bring that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we, why we, not? We shift over here. Yeah. But uh, I, I did uh, a um, yeah, I did one of my Tuesday talks on that yeah. topic uh-huh. probably a few months ago on uh, Uncle Tom's coons uh-huh. and sellouts, uh-huh. you know, and what's the big deal? And the problem with it is. Um, they can be used to pretty much undo progress. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is you have individuals who will say things like, well, white privilege isn't real. Well, of course, there's a certain group of people who want to hear that, you know, and now what, and I know white privilege is a controversial term that is not universally accepted, but there's enough out there that's saying, oh, at least has to be considered. And then you have an African-American say, well, now it's not real. So now that's just undoing progress. So how can we kind of, in our context, something we can both relate to mm-hmm. and how it can be a problem. We deal with this all the time, but we just don't see it in this particular way. We see it as, you know, we're both pastors who are uh, raising up, uh, you know, biblically traditional orthodox beliefs and views in terms mm-hmm. of everything from, uh, you know, how to get to Christian, you know, how to get you know, how to be saved, to, uh-huh. you know, sexual immorality, all those yeah. particular narratives, okay? Now, of course, we live in a world that is opposed to Christ, you know? Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't real. it doesn't want to say that, it wouldn't claim that, but it's opposed yeah. to Christianity, you know? We're enemies of the world at the end of the day. And people are always, oh, okay, we tolerate Christianity, you know, it's kind of raised Christianity, I guess that's my religious affiliation, but eh, I'm not really, you know, all like that. 
Um, I, I don't really know about these beliefs when it comes to, you know, salvation and Christ being the only way. And then you'll have a popular pastor who will get on national television and says, yeah, I don't really believe mm-hmm. that Christ is the only way. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. I just spent all this time yeah. <laughs> preaching this to my congregation, talking to this, and, and now you are you're, the progress that I'm making with this person because you have a stage, because you're internationally popular, because of all this other stuff. Now you are going against the progress that we are trying to make with this coworker that I'm ministering to at work. And, you know, Jesus Christ is the only way. And, you know, that's where it almost will make me look at that individual as the enemy. And, mm-hmm. you know, you might know this popular pastor that I'm talking about who did this a few years ago. Yeah. It's a couple of popular pastors. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty common. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. do that. Yeah. And it's almost like they're sellouts. And mm-hmm. the reason they're doing it is for approval of the world. I want the world to approve me. I want the world to keep buying my books. I want the world to make give me talk shows. I want the world to, you know, uh, yeah. consider me a spiritual leader in this world. So, yeah, I will compromise on these particular principles that I used to adhere to. Um, because it's advantageous to me. And that's where it kind of relates. And, you know, mm-hmm. for us, it's just a little bit different um, because it, you know, livelihood and quality of life and state of life is a little bit different. Now, when we get to a place when Christianity is being persecuted again, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to see it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we kind of see the lines being drawn now with, okay, you know, what do you feel about? Uh, uh, traditional marriage and gay marriage. Mm-hmm. The line is going to be drawn and you're going to have certain individuals who are going to get up. It's happening now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God don't care. God, it's love. Yeah. <laughs> God doesn't care. And, you know, we are going to be like, you are making it hard for me. You know, you're making it difficult for me. And, you know, that is probably the best correlation that I could come up with. Um, to understand like how this applies to African Americans in that whole Uncle Tom thing. Yeah, yeah, and I and I get that. I understand that. I, I just I do think it's harder to have say we have to have political orthodoxy sometimes than it is even theological. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in those atmospheres, because you know, you know, we're talking more, what is what I think when we talk about Uncle Tom, that's typically what we're pointing to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is somebody who has yeah decided to go off politically like has broken ranks politically um yeah it's tough like but it's not necessarily though okay like not necessarily it's not always a political thing i mean there there is a such thing as self-hate mm. and a lot of them it's not even just political it's uh-huh. i i live in a world where the dominant culture is white and I'm a minority, and white is right. I mean, there's definitely more, like, right, if, if to potentially, there's there's definitely more money to be made if you go with the dominant group, just by yeah. sheer numbers. But that, there was a point in time where, oof, oh my gosh, I can't remember, my history is bad, but in the, there was a point in time where the black community was making Man, when was it? Was making the black community, the economy was significantly closer, more similar to that of the white community. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this was pre, uh, you know, this, this is when, uh, you know, 80% of 
black families or had two parents in a home and mm-hmm. they, they kept the money in the community and all this other yeah. stuff. And then that just kind of began to erode away mm-hmm. for different particular reasons. Um, the advantage sometimes is not always just financial or political. A lot of times it's 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 just personal perception. Hmm. The personal perception is white is right, white is better. So we're going to kind of flow over here. And what happens is, hmm. you know, what happens is, you know, if I become a person where, you know what, I don't want to say race traitor, but I'm just going to operate in what I feel that white is better. And that's for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's because I'm a black kid rose in a white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's because I'm a black kid and I just don't well, like hip hop. Well, I guess, what do you mean by white beyond skin color, though? What do you say again? What do you mean be, you said, uh, like when you say like white is right? Um, white culture. Okay. So when you say white culture is mm-hmm. right, and that's that's the actual thing. Mm-hmm. There were people believe white is right. So the white way of doing things is better. Like black people are wild. Black people are loud. Black people are obnoxious. Like, this is mm-hmm. what black folks say. And it's called self-hate. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't like black culture, mm-hmm. you know. And that's okay. You're allowed to not like black culture. But when it becomes something like you, like a, a vehement, they're wrong. There's a black guy. I saw this YouTube clip and I heard it in my own ears. He basically said, Best thing that ever happened to African Africans was being enslaved. We should some Africans, some black folks should still be slaves. There's a guy you can. There's a guy who was just I don't know what his deal was. African American, mm-hmm. and like one of his things that he was known for in the South was like just his adoration and love of the Confederacy. And he walks around and he does all these, like, oh, he's always in the praise, wearing the Confederate flag and all this other stuff. Reminds me of Chappelle. We won't go there. Yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> right. But it was just, it's just, and, and, and he knows the history. Yeah. You know? And, you know, people call it, you know, there's this, like, this, this, you know, Michael Max called it this slave mentality, where the slave mentality is this is my rightful place to be subjected to you. Mm. I'm going to look at you as the God's preferred race. I am looking at your culture as God's preferred culture, you know? And we see that throughout history, even with Christianity. In Christianity, I've always talked about all the time, where there's a reason that when evangelism, missionaries are spreading out, there's a reason that... uh, when we are doing evangelism in white culture, yeah, we will object to and we will reject like just grotesque practices, human sacrifice, sacrificing children, blood ceremonies, all that stuff. But other stuff, in order to, um, in in order to uh, have common ground, we would take some of their ceremonies and sanctify them, make them sacred. But in black culture, African mm-hmm. cultures, brown skin cultures, everything is demonized. What do you mean by that? Go back to that. 
the what sanctify which christmas okay uh-huh. <laughs> like saturnalia like this festival mm-hmm. of saturnalia mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. halloween you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. I mean, these are particular examples of just practices that christianity said well y'all love it so much y'all mm-hmm. ain't gonna get rid of it mm-hmm. well we will just adopt it and sanctify it and yeah. make you christian yeah in, in some ways it's become like synchronistic yeah. you know when i go to uh one of the my critiques when I go to like Guatemala and stuff, and I know um, that's interesting. When I when I go there, you don't see it in the Protestant churches uh, in, in South America, or at least as much, at least the ones I've been around and stuff. You don't see the syncretism, but you do in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Like if you go south of the border, mm-hmm. um, I, I haven't been to Mexico, so um, on, on missions work or anything, but like in Guatemala and Honduras, uh, they're celebrating all of these festivals that were Mayan or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and really, of them, some of them are, are pretty dark, yeah. even. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic Church has adopted them in those mm-hmm. areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you see you see that going on. I hadn't thought about that in light of um, uh, what you just said in the West. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I would obviously need to, need to think about that more. I, I, I do think it's... Um, uh, a tragedy if we cannot celebrate different expressions and personalities uh, and so does Thurman obviously um, within the body of Christ yeah uh, and so yeah but, yeah it's problematic I, mm-hmm. um, and I know you, know you got some more points to hit but um, you know I, when I went to Africa I met this white guy who was a PhD and he's the one that opened me up to a field. I didn't even know it was a field. It was Christian African theology. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, there's a whole field. There's books on Christian African theology. Um, but African theology has been discredited by Western Christianity. So what is African theology? African theology is not so much what we think about when we, that you know that what comes ahead African theology, but it's okay. What does Christianity look like? Minus racism. What does Christianity look like? Minus uh, you know the the superiority complex of the Portuguese over everyone in what they consider the dark planet. Mm. You know. And, you know, let's look at it from that perspective. Look at it from that angle. Let's look at it from, you know, what are the what are the African values? What are rich African values and how does that apply to the Christian message? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Um, so, you know, I have quite a few books on that. Um, it's an actual field there. But yeah. It's just been discredited because, um, yeah, it, it's really been discredited because, like I said, it does not fall under, like, your traditional Protestant theological tracks. Mm-hmm. But the point, you know, that, you know, going back to the original point is, you know, the damage is to what needs to be established and ultimately restored, I think, according to Harold Thurman, is just a person's individual humanity. And when you have individual, like, that's what I believe the tax collectors were doing. Like, the tax collectors, at the end of the day, uh, they were basically saying, we agree and we advantage from the exploitation of our people. Yeah. 
And that's why <laughs> they were enemies. Yeah, and and they were rightfully hated. Rightfully hated. Well, right. Rightfully hated. To a certain extent. Like yeah, there there was like, a yeah. reason to, yeah. I should yes, say. Rightfully is maybe not <laughs> the right thing to like, say there. Josh. Yeah, yeah. We're talking back, about love. We went down on we went down on like a rabbit trail there for a while. It was good though. Um, and so um it's a yeah. So I, I wondered, I was like, man, do we want to talk about that? Um, got to. And so uh it was fun. Um, then the third type of enemy was exemplified by Rome. Now, uh, Rome, there's an obvious enemy there. The Roman meant, he says this, to love the Roman meant to first lift him out of the general classification of enemy the Roman, for the Roman to emerge as a person. Yeah. I mean, the Roman's an easy en- enemy there because they actually are occupying, they're, they're occupying Israel. Yeah. Uh, they're a foreign country that is occupying um, uh, land and a people that does not belong to them. Um, and, uh, so we can see ourselves easily hating, um, the foreigner there in, in that sense, uh, not just the foreigner, but the occupying foreigner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, he says, I'm on page 87 here. He says, love of the enemy means, means that a fundamental attack must first be made on enemy status. So first he points out these, these three types of enemies. There's the, what I would call maybe the, what he calls, I think the personal enemy. Uh, who, when we think of personal, we think of proximity, those who we love, mm-hmm. um, or those who we know we should love, mm-hmm. uh, who are close to us. Um, then uh, the insider who's sold out to the outsider yeah. kind of enemy um, who seems to be taking advantage of um, both y- you personally and those who you identify with. And then the Romans who are basically the outsider enemy and he says to love this enemy a fundamental attack must first be made on their enemy status uh, what do you say about that man that's one of those drop the mic <laughs> moments where Howard Thurman has many of those in this book um, that's what it comes down to and we kind of spoke on that a little bit earlier uh, it's that tribalism you know, and the inability to see anything other than your tribe. Now, and and if I hate your tribe, then I hate you. You know, I hate you. You know, and this is one of the problems with what we saw happening in our country with the politics. I don't know anything about you. I don't know if you're married, single, have kids. I don't know if you're rich. I don't know if you're poor. All I see is you wearing blue. All I see is you wearing red. And because of that, I hate you. And I dislike you. Or I don't have anything. I don't, we, don't, we can't have a conversation. So it's already, it's those titles and it's just so loaded. And at the end of the day, you know, Howard Thurman is very poetically speaking on how ridiculous it is. Because if you think about it, those things don't matter. Like, you're not taking your political status to the next life. <laughs> yeah. You're not taking your money to the next life for the rich who hate the poor, or poor they hate the poor. You're not taking that with you. You're not even taking your race to the next life. Yeah, the Bible says, you know, all, we, all different yeah, tribes, tribes and tongues yeah. and all those stuff, but you're not taking the classification with you. That's just your distinction. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you're not taking the classification with you. And yeah, man. So like it's a powerful, it's a powerful 
uh, prescription on how to uh, you know how to not hate. And so I, I think this is what he says on page 88 online. I think this is what he's getting at here. He says, therefore, it is necessary for the privileged and the underprivileged to work on common environment for the purpose of providing normal experiences of fellowship. In other words, what he says is to make war on the enemy status means that you have to provide opportunities of fellowship on equal ground and equal standing. Mm -hmm. um, he says this is one very important reason for the instance that segregation is a complete and ethical moral evil. Obviously, he's writing during the times of segregation and separation. Whatever it may do for those who dwell on the side of the wall, one thing is certain, it poisons all normal contacts of those persons involved. The first step towards love is common sharing of a sense of mutual worth and value. This cannot be discovered in a vacuum or a series of artificial or hypothetical relationships. It has to be a real situation, natural and free. Yeah, I love this chapter. Like this is the part of the chapter where he really picks up because then he goes on and he uh, speaks on how the church is complicit mm -hmm. in uh, the problems uh, or, or in doing this. And like yeah. just making sure we keep people in their groups you know, making sure yeah. we keep people in their tribes. Um, but yeah, man, it's so very true that we do not give, it's just, there's no intentional, consistent movement to lift this. Yeah. And those who, and this is how much we love our tribes, those who attempt it are considered crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> considered crazy or too liberal or too whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, this is, this is not, God's intention. It was never his intention for us to use, you know, that which separates us as, you know, you know as, 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 you know, our, what defines us. Yeah. You know, I was thinking of Ephesians 2.14 when I was reading through that, just the idea that the, the wall of hostility has come down, yeah. right, if we believe the gospel that God has is bringing together all tribes, nations, tongues, mm -hmm. and, and so forth. Um, and yet, to a certain extent, uh, in our country, we still don't see it widespread. Like we see it, I think we're seeing new expressions of the multi-ethnic church. And mm -hmm. there's been a, I, to me, from what I can tell, there's been a huge push for that sort of thing to happen. And uh, Thurman talks about the unfortunate reality, uh, especially during that time in our country, and it still exists today, right? We can, you and I can talk about black church and white church and we still know what we're talking about. Right. Um, uh, you know, he said there's basically most of the churches in the United States are divided by ethnicity mm -hmm. um, or cultural experience, really ethnicity um, or nationality, I should say. Yeah. Um, and he just talks about how he calls it sinful. Um, and I, I don't think he's wrong. Um, uh, he said, you know, and obviously it's done done out of out of kind of racial animosity during this time. Um, and we still are feeling those effects today, yes. you know, uh, even, you know, if we look at to a certain extent, like our two churches, your, your church is predominantly black, although not completely. Mine is predominantly white. Yeah. Um, so we're feeling these effects today. And, and this is such a struggle because, you know, like for instance, our congregation if, you know, a bunch of black people wanted to come to our church, there would be no effort to segregate right? at all. Like, if there would be, like, we would have a come to Jesus yeah. in, in our congregation. Um, uh, and so that was obviously a 
motivating factor then. Like even our own movement, the Church of God movement, the movement that we're a part of, we started out somewhat as a uh, interracial, or should multi-ethnic, interracial is not the right word, um, uh, movement to a certain extent. And then we eventually divided as culture kind of split us apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and I mean, we had, we've had we had some both r- really great things and, and, and really uh, uh, embarrassing pieces of history in, in, concerning our our, our, our movement um, and our, our church concerning Church of God and race relations. Um, uh, so I guess all that to say is like, you know, how do you see it changing now? Um, because I do think, and I, and I could be completely wrong about this, but I, I do think like there is a desire to see the multi-ethnic church, um, especially among our generation and younger. I, I do think there's, there's no longer really a, a, a strong desire to um, uh, feel like it's one way or the other. While at the same time, you can't force it. No. Um, so, yeah. Man, so this is one of my passions, man. Mm-hmm. And I think God has given me, uh, you know, you know, I have a church that's successful. I can just worry about my little church and be good with it. Um, but God has always, even when we started this church, I've always had a distaste for white church, black church. And mm-hmm. like you said, many pastors say the exact same thing. Culture is so powerful. though. That's the thing, mm-hmm. man. Culture is so powerful that it's going to change us before we change it. Um, and that's what usually happens even within churches. Um, you know, I have a friend who's researched on all this stuff, man, uh, Dr. Jason Chilton. Did you get the female? I did. Okay. So I signed up for it. Oh, sweet. So, yeah, Excellent. Yeah, so. um, yeah, man. He researches this stuff and he breaks down like what it is, what are the cultural difficulties for white folk to go to black church and black folk to go to white church. Yeah, because it goes I there is a difficulty mm-hmm. in both both ways, right? Yeah, yeah. extremely difficulty. Yeah. So he told me like one of the difficulties, you know, black folk, especially um, traditional Christians, people who've been Christians a while, the the worship. Mm-hmm. The worship style. Um, but he said the thing for the, for the reason it's difficult for white people to go to traditional black church or black church in general is because white men struggle following black leadership. Huh. Yeah. And it's those type of cultural things that are make it difficult, makes it hard. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, okay, wait, these people are here. We all love Jesus. Okay, it might not be my favorite type of music, but hey, it's only 15 minutes in the service, uh-huh. 20 minutes in the yeah. service. Okay, cool. We can just worship in the spirit of Jesus and be yeah. good. But there's something inside of me which is like, I need some shit. I need some drums. I yeah. Need some I need something uh, going on. There's yeah. something in there. Okay, oh, this ain't for me. This uh, is not for me. You know, based on that stuff and vice versa. You know, you'll have had it happen. I've had plenty of older white gentlemen come to my church and white men come to church and some have joined. Mm-hmm. But I just, some of them, you could just see the discomfort. You can see the discomfort. You can see them not, not the, 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 them just processing, can I go to this man for counseling? Can I go to him and with my wife, you know, can, you know, I've seen that difficulty there as well. So I have a radical. So did those people though come to your church without knowing that you're black? No, they knew. Oh, okay. They but they to, still, they, they, they give a try. Okay. You know, it's just mm-hmm. one of those things where it's like, all right, I'm going to try sushi. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if my mouth is fixated uh-huh. on hamburgers, mm-hmm. I'm not going to like the sushi. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just that my mouth is, it's not that I can't retrain my mouth, but it's just one of those things. So it's, I have the, I ha, I know the fix. 
you know, I'm touring, and, and it's just like, and I, I know the fix. It's real simple. It's real easy, but it's challenging. And the fix is missions. What do you mean? We have to treat churches like mission fields now. Mm-hmm. We have to raise up and train up people who will be missionaries in churches of different ethnicities. That's the only thing's going to happen. Like my mission is to integrate the church. My mission is to bring down the racial barriers in this particular church. Mm-hmm. It has to be a mission field. And when that happens, then you're going to have families that will say, you know what, we're going to go to this black church. And I believe it's, and I believe it will be more effective if white individuals who go to black churches, I'll tell you one second, if, I'm not saying both of them should happen, uh-huh. but uh, I'm going to go to this church and I'm going to raise my children here. And guess what? Children are being raised thinking and knowing. They're being raised thinking and knowing that worshiping with other races is normal. Mm-hmm. As opposed to right now, we tell them that's abnormal. So there's this discomfort there. Yeah, if we don't tell them, I think that's what they experience. Yeah. 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 So... You know, there has to be that raising up. It's you know, I steal that. I stole that. I steal the idea from. Um, um, I forgot the sociologist, mm-hmm. but it's called immersion. It's like, how do you get people out of poverty? You don't give them money because <laughs> they still have a, mm-hmm. they have a poverty mindset. You get them with people who know how to make you money. Get them with people, you mm-hmm. basically have to put people with money into the poor community. Yeah, and their ideas and all this other stuff will slowly transact. Yeah, that's my one yeah. idea. I, 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 there's one pastor who actually said had a very similar idea uh, with me. Um, but you know, I believe that you know when we as people as a church, when we become intentional mm-hmm. and we say, you know what, we have to treat the church as a mission field. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, I was just reading through that. I was like, yeah, Thurman, you're right. But I do think culturally we are a little different. While we're we're, we're still, yeah. Um, stuck in, in, in some of that and so i thought like what's our problem like what's what's our excuse now right like, what's our problem <laughs> right, now right, right. and is it just cultural tradition uh you know all the there's there's a lot into that mm-hmm. um i guess one thing we could do is just make trades we just trade people Man, we can, you know what i'm saying i got my agents I'm just, yeah you know, yeah <laughs> I gotta. No, I love store. everybody who turns to, to attends this church. I'm, I would never trade anyone for anyone. You know, just in case you were wondering. Three deacons for one, yeah. one praise leader. I got Co- completely a joke, but um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. So uh, it's just something to think about. I, yeah. You know, I think, like I said, I, I told our congregation we're preaching through Luke, and Luke is very. Uh, um, very adamant that Jesus is for all people. Mm-hmm. Like he's not just for the Jew, he's for the Gentile. And, and so I, I did mention a couple of weeks ago, like it, it is embarrassing on uh, for the Bible believing church that we are so divided on a Sunday morning through ethnic lines. And, um, you know, I mentioned it's not something that we can snap our fingers to fix, but we, we just were wrong historically on that. And we're feeling the effects of it. Kind of left it at that. And, you know, it did get some pushback from some people. Like, oh, I don't want to feel guilty for, you know, if a black person walked in or somebody from other nationality, you know we would make them feel welcome, which is true, right? But we are feeling the effects of our sin from the past. Oh, yeah. um, uh, from it. And so we're not, we're not experiencing the full expression 
of Christianity together. Nor what is what is even worse, I think. What may be worse is that the culture in some ways is better at that this than we are to a certain extent. I actually think right now oh, we're yes. we're in a cultural moment where that may not even be true. But oh. but 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 like the church was at one point in time and was established to show the how the nations together bring god glory and we have divided then we have now divided by nationality ethnicity race all of these sorts of the uh, areas of division class um that um, god never intended us to i believe we are so far behind the culture which is embarrassing. Which and that's and that's Ooh. what's embarrassing when I when I say that oh, yeah. is that like oh, yeah. you know you. we are supposed to be a light to the nations and in in that area um, we have largely failed to a certain extent. Um, you know, oh yeah, it's it's not as bad as it possibly could be. Like it's not. You know, we're having this conversation. You know, there's yeah, uh, if when our churches get together to get along, like all of those sorts of things. Like there's not. You, you know, um, there there is to a certain extent different cultural expressions going on sometimes on Sunday morning, yeah. um, but it's not. We shouldn't really be divided in that way. Um, yeah, but the so and there's the other, you know, I don't want it to make it mm-hmm. seem like the cultural uh, shackles is just one sided. Like mm-hmm. Bishop Johnson told me, uh, my mentor, he said, uh, you know, when his church you know, decided to change slightly, change their music, not mm-hmm. so much to attract white uh-huh. folk, but because more white people were coming in. Mm-hmm. So he said, you know what, let's make sure our songs are one, not to appease them, but maybe we need to consider, you know, just yeah. a little bit more more multi-ethnic style of worship. Mm-hmm. And more white people started coming into the house of the Lord in Akron. He said, uh, he, he told me a story of how one of the, he got pulled to the side and one of the older members was like, an older member, like uh-huh. grew up in the civil rights movement, told him, you know, I, 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 I have to work with them. I have to go to the store with them. I have to go to the movies with them. I don't think I should have to worship them. Those are my white people. And where does that come from? I believe it comes from church for so long in the black community being the only place where they had dignity as a black community as a black Mm -hmm. you know group coming together yeah you know and this is our thing this is the only thing we have our thing so you know a lot of that that's 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 interesting yeah Yeah. it's the sentiment Mm -hmm. um that i know a lot of older african-americans held to okay y'all don't want me yeah in your you know, in your restaurants, you don't want uh-huh. me on your buses. You don't want me here. Fine, that's cool, y'all. Have, we got our church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a, that's that's where the healing has to come in. Uh, that's I think that's something everybody should think about. Um, and that there does need to be a lot of healing there. Yeah, I do want to step back here to what you talked about, Bishop Johnson bringing in more oh, maybe contemporary Caucasian type of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, Thurman, and this is why. Because mm-hmm. Thurman says, if a white man, the Negro may say, a white ma- if a man is white, he may automatically be classified as one incapable of dealing with me as if I were a rational human be- being. And I think vice versa. He then goes on to tell the story of the centurion mm-hmm. 
coming to Jesus, asking Jesus to heal his servant. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he then puts this into sociological, uh, a sociological understanding. He said, in reality, the centurion would have looked down on Jesus because he was just some Jewish man. So the centurion now is going to Jesus and humbling himself before a Jew, asking Jesus now to come heal his servant. Um, and so he's placing his need uh, as somebody who is above Jesus, theoretically, right, in mm -hmm. culture, sociologically speaking, um, uh, at the feet of Jesus, asking Jesus, hey, would you help me here? And then um, Jesus brings healing to that situation. And just this idea that we, too, have to lay our pride down concerning this issue and concerning even, I think, expressions of our faith in Christianity mm -hmm. and ask one another, what do we have to learn yeah. from, from each other? Like, and, and, and take those sorts of things seriously. Mm -hmm. Like if healing is really going to take place, yeah. um, what, what can I learn from you? Like these, yeah. you know, these conversations you and I are having in our, in our relationship is not just so I can figure out like if uh, well part of it like is yeah is what i believe right yeah. but what of what about it is wrong yeah. and what can i learn from yeah. Yeah. like how can i how can i learn from you yeah. um or when i have different experiences worship experiences whether it be across the street at your church or across the world uh and the churches in kenya i visited or just south of the border right in in guatemala and central america when I'm there, what am I learning from their expressions? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's yeah. I mean, and that that that's very, very, very profound. Um, and that you know, same here. I mean, that's what it comes down to: the learning that will come as a result of us being intentional, uh, being very, very intentional uh, in bringing about a difference and a change for the future. Yeah. Need some intentional people, man. That's what it comes down to. We need some intentional people um, because it's not going to be easy. There's going to mm -hmm. be pushback. There's going to be resistance because that's just how strong and how powerful culture is. Yeah. And especially when there is an established culture in the church, you know, mm -hmm. that's just one of those things. Just people, unfortunately, we begin to start treating what is preferential as if it is essential. And if we think something is essential in the church, then we think it is essential to the gospel. And it's not true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's so many things that are just not essential, just preferential. But because of how we perceive our churches, you know, is, you know, we used to, you know, the the joke would be, you know, when uh, you uh raised in a traditional Baptist church like me, like the joke would be like, man, what would happen if we ever cha took changed something out of the routine service? Uh -huh. Like, what if we didn't read announcements on Sunday? Yeah. What would happen? Yeah. <laughs> but because things are so deeply ingrained in this, we've kind of, like I said before, we've, we've sanctified these things. We've created certain things like they're, they're sacred and holy. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they're just preferential. Even music, it's preferential. Now, there is yeah. some mess out there. Huh. It's up to the pastor to be able to discern that. From worship style to music style, it's preferential. It's not essential. Yeah. So, amen. Yeah. Well, I, I know you're in you're in seminary right now full time, and so you gotta get going here in in a few 
um and we've been we've been trying to talk about love we've gone uh, we've talked i mean we have like all this yeah, is yeah. essential to love like you can't yeah right you can't love somebody you're not willing yeah. to be with have a conversation with and put down your preferences to see them as a person really is yeah. some of what thurman is getting at here uh which is essential really to, mm-hmm. to loving somebody um well is to be able to put aside your your preferences and see them as a person so how would you like to kind of wrap some of this up Man, Ooh. I I will wrap this up. But first thing, thank you, Josh. Again, I said this at the beginning, I said it at the end. Dude, thank you for being a man that is willing to take your church to where I believe God desires the church to go. And that is, let's not ignore the problem. Let's get out here and make ourselves aware of the problem. And not try to fix it, per se, but just be aware of the opportunities that God may present to fix it. You know, like you're setting yourself up. Like if I have a person that comes to church, a black person that comes to my church, say, hey, I don't I don't know about this church. I don't like band. I want to go to a different church. Um, I, I, have, I have no doubt in my mind that they will be taken care of here because of how intentional you are with this particular matter and issue. And everyone who's listening is a member of this church, I encourage you to really ask your pastor what is his heart when it comes to race relations in the church? What is his heart? And do your best to make sure that you adopt his heart um, because that's what God is going to bless. You know, that's what God is going to bless when you all come into agreement with him to say, you know what? We do want our church to look different 30 years from now than it does today. You know, that statistic says by what, 2030? America's going to be predominantly brown? Yeah, I mean, mostly Hispanic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's the point. It's going to yeah. be predominantly brown. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, yeah. and, and white uh-huh. folk are not going to be the majority anymore. So, yeah. that, so y'all got to understand. So, you have yeah. to say, okay, so in that situation, either we are going to be a multi ethnic church or we're going to be irrelevant. Yeah, and, I, and, and yeah, a lot of that is true. I mean, even if you look at where Christianity is is growing, mm-hmm. where is Christianity growing? It's growing in the global south, and it's growing in Africa. Yep. Um, and yep. so it's growing among Hispanics and Africans. I, and I have told our church before that it's important that we send missionaries now to these places because guess who's going to come back to be missionaries to your children? Exactly. <laughs> right, and grandchildren, mm-hmm. right? Because right. And, and Christianity is holding steady in the United States. And I just saw a study yesterday that said it's projected to hold steady. <laughs> like, oh, great. Like, so that's it. Yeah. So basically where we are now, it's mm-hmm. projected to be yeah. in 2050 yeah. is what the study was showing. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it's true, we have no idea. We can't predict the future. Right. right. But like, it's not, we're not, so we're not Europe, but according to the study, while, while at the same time, like, where Christianity is not exploding like it is in Africa. Right. Uh, it's not growing like it is in South and Central America. Right. That's true. And I, I just, in conclusion, say thank you for the invitation and uh, everyone listening. Your pastor wants to take you where God wants you. And I encourage you all to uh, read this book. Some good stuff in there. Uh, but to continue to, uh, you know, allow, you know, to continue to, Adapt your past, adopt your pastor's heart 
you know, as he's pursuing a church that looks the way to God's desires for his church to look. And I'm trying to do the same thing too. You are. I love you, brother. Thank you for being here and uh, taking this time to be with me. Ah, you learned a lot. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs>